Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the Final Four. The road will end there, and this is a show that when I came up with the idea to start this podcast, when the college basketball season first started, this is a show that I have always really been looking forward to because very quickly, we have gone one week ago, there were 68 teams left in the NCAA tournament that heard their names called on Selection Sunday, and now there are only 16. And these four days, they go by pretty quickly, but there's also just so much that happened that sometimes this Monday could feel like a little bit of a daze. It could feel like a little bit of a fog. And we are now going to have three days to start off this week to take a little bit of a breather to review everything we just saw this past weekend in the NCAA tournament before the action will kick back off on Thursday night when the East and West regions will kick back up. Those will be in New York and Los Angeles. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm also really looking forward to breaking down everything that happened in the NCAA tournament over the course of the last four days. But before we get into that, there was actually some news that broke this morning that I wanted to hit on. And it is looking like the Georgetown Hoyas will hire former Providence coach Ed Cooley. And I'm saying former now because, yeah, he is no longer the head coach of Providence basketball. They posted an official tweet on their official Twitter account that said the University of Providence, or Providence College, I should say. I'm sorry. Apologies, sorry, friends. Uh, They're going to be looking for a new basketball coach. They're going to start that search, and it is looking like Ed Cooley is going to become the new head coach of Georgetown. And we've also had a lot of news over the course of the last few days that – Iona coach Rick Pitino is going to be the new head coach of St. John's. So St. John's and Georgetown are two programs in the biggies that are just searching to get back to relevance. St. John's has not won an NCAA tournament game in 23 years since the year 2000. It has just been way too long since this Red Storm program has been relevant, let alone good. And Over the course of the last few years, under Mike Anderson, under Chris Mullen, even a little bit under Steve Lavin, the Johnnies had talent. They just didn't have the proper coaching and execution to get it done. And one thing we know about Rick Pitino, he is still one of the best coaches in college basketball, bringing Iona back to the big dance. Unfortunately, uh, they fell the UConn over there in Albany. But Rick Pitino, one of the best to ever do it. That would obviously be a home run hire for St. John's. And I think we're seeing some lessons like Xavier with Sean Miller. Yeah, a coach might have some baggage sometimes, but at the end of the day, if you really want to win and you prioritize winning and you want to get back to relevance like St. John's really does, Rick Pitino is a move that had to be made. And Georgetown, the thing that's crazy, and we saw this in the Big 12 last year, like we're seeing this all over college basketball, right? In the new world of the transfer portal where you don't have to sit out a year if you leave, we see players play against their old team, especially in big games. Like we've seen that a couple times throughout the NCAA tournament. I was watching the first four game between Nevada and Arizona State. And uh, that was uh, Wednesday night. Arizona State won that game pretty comfortably. But Arizona State's two best players in Cambridge and Warren Washington, they transferred in from Nevada playing against their old team. We also saw that with uh, Joey Hauser yesterday, former Marquette uh, forward, he plays against his former team. And, oh, yeah, speaking of Providence, how about Bryce Hopkins, the Friars' best player, going up against Kentucky the other day 
and his former team. So that was just crazy to see. And when we look at Ed Cooley going to Georgetown, it is a little bit reminiscent of Chris Beard going to Texas. Now, we know that Chris Beard was a Texas alum, so there was always maybe a thought that he was going to take that job, even though Texas Tech fans never wanted to even think about convincing themselves that there might be a chance that happened. And I think Providence fans kind of felt the same way. Ed Cooley, he is from Providence. He is a Friar guy growing up on Providence, Rhode Island. He's the coach for 12 seasons. They made the Sweet 16 last year for the first time. And I think all things considered, even though the Friars did lose to Kentucky in the opening round of the big dance this year, I think Providence had a really solid season this year, considering how many guys from that Big East championship team they lost from last year, right? Like Providence lost Justin Minaya, their best defender. They lost Nate Watson, who is their top big man. They lost uh, Noah Horkler, who was a very important piece. They lost Al Durham, who was a really important piece. Like, Providence lost a big portion of last year's team that went to the Sweet 16, that won the Big East regular season title, and they are right back in the tournament this year. Ed Cooley did a great job with the transfer portal, but now this prior program, they have some questions uh, starting off with who is going to be their next head coach. And for Georgetown, look, they weren't interested in Rick Pitino. Uh, Not every school would have been. I understand that. But you get Ed Cooley from Providence, the guy that's won this Big East, uh, pretty recently, only two years ago, a guy that has hit some home runs in the transfer portal. And I think with Providence or with Georgetown also, like that's one thing. And everyone knows this, like how important the transfer portal is in this world of college basketball. But with Georgetown under Patrick Ewing, before things really started falling out of control the last two years, there was a time when Patrick Ewing had some talent at Georgetown. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe this team could go on a run when they had Mac McClung when they had James Akinjo, uh, they they had Omer Yurtsevin, a really good former transfer from NC State, but unfortunately they couldn't keep their best players in the program and things fell off the rails pretty quickly. And when you look at Ed Cooley, he is a guy that we know uh, could do work in the transfer portal. And for Providence, like they still have guys with plenty of eligibility left. Like where is Bryce Hopkins playing next year? He might go pro, but if he came back to college basketball, there's a chance he could be one of the best players in the country next season and maybe be a first-round pick in the NBA draft for all we know. So there are still plenty of questions on Providence. I just wanted to start off the show with that. It's looking like St. John's and now Georgetown making big moves uh, on the coaching front with their open jobs. And Ed Cooley, man, I don't ever thought I'd see a day where he would leave Providence for another school in the Big East, but it looks like that day has came in next year when Providence host Georgetown. We've seen it with Providence too. And a lot of this could be, I think, accounted to Cooley and how great of a job that he's done at Providence. Like that home court advantage is the real deal. The It used to be called the Dunkin' Donuts Center, of course, but it is now the Amica Mutual Pavilion, the AMP. Like, man, that home court advantage is legit. Providence beat some really good teams in that building over the course of the last two years. And when Georgetown first comes there, oh my God, Ed Cooley has literally gone from the face of Friartown to the number one enemy of Friartown, not just leaving the job. If he would have left for Michigan a few years ago, I think Providence fans would have been upset, but they wouldn't have been totally mad. They at least would have understood it a little bit, but you leave for another job in conference. Now, the second coach to do this recently, I mentioned Chris Beard before. Wow. Ed Cooley looking like he's going to be the next head coach of Georgetown. I think it's a really good hire for the Hoyas trying to get that program back to relevance. And for Providence, man, this is just a devastating blow 
uh, a, a tough day for your program, losing your head coach in Ed Cooley, a guy that has been there for 12 years and has done a really good job, including getting that team to the Sweet 16 last year. But without further ado, it's time to get into the tournament. Okay, without further ado, I have some takeaways from this past weekend's tournament action. I'm pulling up my bracket right now, and I'm just going to go region by region with a couple quick thoughts uh, on each game, on each team that it moved, that advanced and moved on to the Sweet 16. Without further ado, let's do it. Starting off, Alabama, they will be in the Sweet 16 in the South, one of only two number one seeds to advance to the Sweet 16 this season. And it's interesting, they handled... Texas A&M Corpus Christi pretty easily in the opening game, but Brandon Miller, he did not score. Now, it is a good sign that Alabama was able to dominate. I know it's a 16 seed, so hey, like they shouldn't lose no matter how well or poorly Brandon Miller played. But at the end of the day, like we've seen so many crazy upsets in this tournament. The fact that Alabama, they're able to advance uh, without Miller scoring in that first game, the Maryland game, they didn't even play particularly great in that one as well. But Alabama, they find a way to move on. Kevin Willard, he wins his first tournament game at Maryland, beating West Virginia. Congratulations to him. I think overall, it was a really good first year for Willard at Maryland. And once he gets his guys in there, that's when we can really start evaluating him on just how legit of a coach he is going to be for the Terrapins. But it was a great first season, getting them back to the big dance, when not a lot of people expected it, I think Willard also got Jameer Young from the transfer portal, really good move. And I think he did a good job also taking advantage of the players that were left over from the Mark Turgeon era, Julian Reese, Hakeem Hart, uh, all those guys, Don Scott, uh, really good job by Willard at Maryland, really good season for the Terrapins. We will also have San Diego State, the Aztecs. They will be in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2014. And this is also the first time they've made a second weekend under head coach Brian Dutcher, even though it was his fourth NCAA tournament appearance. This was an Aztec team that had a seven-point lead over Creighton with about one minute to go in their 8-9 game of the big dance last season. And when you look at this uh, San Diego State team, I was really happy that they had the opportunity to just dominate Furman on a standalone game Saturday morning. I know it wasn't the most appealing game that everyone wanted to see, but this San Diego State team, they have been so good over the course of the last three, four years. If you remember in 2020, they had a team that was going to be a number one seed, a team that I thought had a legitimate shot to win it all with uh, guys like Malachi Flynn, who's playing in the NBA right now, Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, like Brian Dutcher has turned San Diego State into one of the best programs in the country. Steve Fisher obviously has a lot to do with that as well and the work he did uh, there over the course of the last decade and a half. But, man, Brian Dutcher, what a game planner. Congratulations to the Aztecs for getting to the Sweet 16. And I think they have the personnel to at least give Alabama a little bit of trouble. I think San Diego State will be in that game. And I know overall the Mountain West had a really bad tournament, and this is a conference that overall has struggled in this event recently but at the same time San Diego State has established themselves well before this year as the premier program in that conference and I'm just so happy that finally they were able to get over that hump their defense got better as they advanced in the NCAA tournament which is also a really good sign like that Charleston game was close it was down to the wire but the Aztecs find a way to win and they move on and we'll take on Furman or excuse me we'll take on Alabama after beating Furman Hell of a win by the Aztecs. And for Furman, I mean, what a shot. What a way 
to start off the NCAA tournament with Furman hitting that shot. Kihei Clark, a guy who has been in college for five years, and it's crazy that his college career starts with one of the best passes in, I would say, college basketball history, right? Like, if Clark doesn't make that pass from half court to Diakite, Virginia doesn't win the national championship in 2019. They lose that game. So when you look at Kihei Clark's college career, he's obviously been around the block for a while now. It is wild that he goes in like that, and then unfortunately his career ends with just the uh, the gaff of all gaffs, turning that ball over, had a timeout left, and Furman moves on. Congratulations to them. They made the, the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1980 and even find a way to win a game once they get there. Congratulations to Bob Ritchie. If I'm a school looking for a head coach, I don't really know if he'd fit with Providence, but if I'm a school looking for a head coach, especially down south, Bob Ritchie would be a guy I'd heavily, heavily look at. So congratulations to Furman for getting the job done. One pod that I did have a little bit of trouble with picking games, and I decided to go contrarian with this one, was the 6-3, was the 6-11-3-14 in the south region, Creighton. They have a really impressive weekend. They will be going to the Sweet 16, and it's frustrating, right? Because I was on this Creighton team in the preseason. I was on them last year. Like, I was just so impressed how well they played down the stretch of last year's season, considering they were such a young team and considering they had injuries. Like, Creighton gave Kansas, the team that eventually ended up winning the national championship last year, Creighton gave them a legit game in the round of 32 last year with Kaluma. He, he, he went off in that game. Uh, they also had a couple other guys, O'Connell and uh, Ryan Hawkins, that are no longer with the program. But Ryan Kalkbrunner and Ryan Nembhardt did not play in that game against Kansas last year. Creighton takes them down to the wire. And this year, they didn't have a bad year. Like, they were really good, but they just weren't exactly the team a lot of people were expecting them to be inconsistent. And a lot of that also had to do with the fact, I think, that they had the six-game losing streak in December, and Kalkbrunner missed half of those games. We've seen this for a while now. Like, Creighton was just a different team without him in the lineup, but they really controlled the game against NC State. They dominated Baylor yesterday, and Creighton is now in the Sweet 16 for the second time in three years when uh, just a decade ago they were in the Missouri Valley. So a heck of a job by Greg McDermott building that program, It wasn't that long ago when Creighton actually lost to Baylor in the NCAA tournament. Think about this. Doug McDermott, Greg's son, of course, one of the best college basketball players I've ever seen. His college career ended against Baylor in 2014. So that victory yesterday must have felt really nice for Greg to get some revenge on Baylor. Congratulations to the Blue Jays for getting to the Sweet 16. Uh, Disappointing season for Baylor overall, I would say. I mean, I didn't, I saw this coming. I wasn't necessarily surprised by the fact that they ended up going down to Creighton. I thought they were super vulnerable against Santa Barbara. They did control that game uh, after being down in the, uh, after one, they really got control of that game in the second half, but Keontae George, he'll obviously be gone to the NBA Cryer and Flagler. They've both been in college for a while now. They do have uh, COVID uh, years of eligibility remaining, but at the same time, who knows if those guys are going to be playing again. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where Scott Drew and Baylor go from here, especially knowing uh, his former assistant, Jerome Tang. He has Kansas State in the Sweet 16 now. We'll get to them in a second, but a good job by Creighton getting uh, to the Sweet 16 second time in the last three years. And NC State, I feel for Kevin Keats, man, because I think he's a really good coach that eventually will have a moment, but he's now 0-4 in the NCAA tournament. I thought 
this year could have been a year where NC State with their guards, with DJ Burns, could have made a little bit of a run, but playing Creighton in Denver, that's just a brutal draw for the Wolfpack. The altitude, I think, affected them. Terquevion Smith played really well, but he was gassed at numerous points throughout that game. Unfortunately, Jarkel Joyner couldn't really ever get going as well. And, and drawing Creighton as a six seed, like, they had a disappointing season. So technically, yeah, they were a six seed. But, I mean, man, that team is not a six seed. So congratulations to the Blue Jays. They'll be going to the Sweet 16. And then we have to get to the story of the tournament so far, at least one of them. And that is the number 15 seeded Princeton Tigers who will be going to the Sweet 16 representing the Ivy League. And it's crazy because when you look at Princeton, first of all, Ivy teams have not had a ton of success in the tournament recently. We remember Tommy Amaker and Harvard winning a few games here and there. We remember uh, Yale upsetting Baylor on that uh, just epic clip from uh, Torian Prince talking about how Baylor uh, got out-rebounded. And then when you look at this Yale team, or excuse me, when you look at this Princeton team, wow. I mean, the way they just handled Arizona to end that game, it it was wild. And Arizona, Tommy Lloyd, and all those players have spoken a lot about just the lack of energy and that being a big reason why they uh, couldn't come through with the victory. And that was apparent to me watching that game, especially late. Princeton wanted it more. They played harder. And uh, when you look at the Tigers and the job that Mitch Henderson has done, it's been really impressive. That was uh, Princeton's first tournament appearance since 2017, and they find a way to get the win over Arizona. And for this Tiger team, when you think of them, you have to think of their top guy, Tosan Evbunawan. Uh, I know I'm butchering that last name a little bit, but Tosan, he is a big-time player, point forward that really controls things for Princeton. And one thing about the Ivy League that's super interesting is – that extra year of eligibility is screwing them a little bit because they were the one conference that didn't play college basketball during that COVID year. And they don't have grad, they don't allow grad students to stay in the basketball program. They don't have grad school D1 athletes. So he's going to be put into the transfer portal most likely. And just right off the bat, he's going to be one of the most coveted players in the market. So Tosan Ebunawam going to be a guy to watch for Princeton, but that game against Missouri in the round of 32, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like the thing that makes Princeton's victory so crazy, first of all, is it is now the third year in a row a 15 seed has won in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. And not only that, all three 15s got to the Sweet 16. They won another game. Now, the thing that was so surprising to me about this is Oral Roberts in 2021, right? They're a 15. They beat Ohio State, shocking upset, and then they pull another upset over a Florida team coached by Mike White. And for anyone who's paid attention to Florida basketball, like that shouldn't have came as a major surprise. The Gators under Mike White struggled a lot with consistency and putting together consistent three, four, five-game stretches of really good basketball. And I wasn't shocked that Florida lost that game. Even last season, right, St. Peter's, their 15 seed, they beat Kentucky, shocking win. But then they come out in the round of 32 and beat Murray State, which was surprising. Murray State was a very good team coached by Matt McMahon last year. But that's not surprising, right? Murray State, they're in the Ohio Valley. They could be vulnerable against a lot of other teams. Like, as surprising as that was, it wasn't shocking. But to me, I'm a huge Dennis Gates fan. And it's obvious why. He's done a phenomenal job since he's taken over at Missouri, getting the Tigers to the round of 32 uh, and winning an NCAA tournament game in his first season when the Tigers, 
it's been about a decade since they last won an NCAA tournament game before this season. And Dennis Gates takes over for Conzo Martin. He's building this program. The future is bright for Missouri. There's no doubt about it. But I thought Dennis Gates would have his team ready to play uh, against this Princeton team. And as a matter of fact, it was the opposite. Princeton dominated the game. They were the better team from start to finish. And they will now take on Creighton in the round of 32 on Friday. They won that game 78 to 63. Mitch Henderson, he did a great job. And Princeton, wow, just what a weekend for them. And the third consecutive year that not only a number 15 seed wins a game in the big dance, but that a number 15 seed will be going to the round of 32. The only time that it happened prior to 2021 when Oral Roberts did it was Florida Gulf Coast, the memorable Dunk City team that we saw in 2013. So I think another thing I wanted to say also was we're seeing a result. Like someone asked me, like, why are we seeing these upsets all of a sudden now? And I think my answer would be the Steph Curry generation has grown up. And these games, more than ever, simply are just decided by can you make shots from the outside or not? It's that simple. Whoever is shooting the ball better is going to win these games for the majority of the time. And we've seen rare instances like Kansas State yesterday where they just couldn't make a shot early. But in crunch time, when it mattered the most, they were able to get it to crunch time at first just by staying in the game, keeping it close. And then when it got to crunch time, uh, Penn State was just able to take over. But in many of these instances, these games are just coming down to who is able to make more shots. And I think that could be a reason why we're seeing a larger number of these upsets in today's version of college basketball. Because with the transfer portal, with NIL, we're seeing guys move all around and the overall level of talent is just not as big, or the gap in the overall level of talent, I should say. It's just not as big as it once was. And Princeton and and Oral Roberts and St. Peter's, they're taking advantage of that. So shout out to the Tigers for getting the job done. They will be going to the Sweet 16. And Mitch Henderson, a member of the Princeton team in 1996, when they pulled a massive upset over UCLA, he was the point guard of that team. He is on the sidelines uh, just about three decades later watching the Princeton Tigers beat another top-notch Pac-12 team in Arizona. And Princeton... They got to the round of 32 in 96, 98, and 83. This was their first tournament win since 98, and they did make a Sweet 16 in 1967. So it's been a while for the Princeton Tigers. This is a program that's been to the NCAA tournament a handful of times over the course of the last uh, two decades. But, man, what a job by Mitch Henderson, and what a job by Princeton. They will take on Creighton on Friday night. So we have some breaking news that I wanted to react to for the second time today. It's not that surprising, though. Rick Pitino is officially the new head coach of St. John's basketball. Many people are reporting, including John Rothstein, CBS Sports, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Iona's Rick Pitino has agreed on a six-year deal to become the new St. John's coach. Love this for the Johnnies. Love this for the Red Storm. But we knew it was coming. Spoke about it a little bit to start off the show. So congratulations to St. John's fans. I know it's been a minute since you guys have been winning tournament games, since you guys have really been relevant. So this is a great day to be a St. John's fan. And we're going to get to another team that just about a year ago made a little bit of a risky hire that probably not everyone loved, but already it has paid off in a big way. Continuing breaking down the bracket. Now, we just finished talking about Princeton and the great weekend they had, but we have to talk about Fairleigh Dickinson, the Knights, becoming the the second number 16 seed in the history of the NCAA tournament to knock off a number one seed. And 
I think everyone kind of realized that Purdue was super vulnerable, especially compared to a lot of the number one seeds we've seen in recent memory. But with that being said, Fairleigh Dickinson is the shortest team in college basketball. Their tallest player is about 6'7". Also, it's important to keep in mind that Fairleigh Dickinson did not win their conference tournament. The reason why they are in here is because Merrimack, the team that won their conference tournament, they are still in that transition period from D2 to D1. And we know the NCAA rule that has screwed over many teams that, quite frankly, I don't understand. You have to wait four years if you are making that transition, if you want to become a D1 school. And unfortunately, Merrimack, that was them. They had to sit this one out. But Fairleigh Dickinson, they get their opportunity. And Tobin Anderson, a guy who is a rising star in the coaching industry, he takes the Knights and they knock off Purdue. And honestly, after Purdue was only winning by one at the half, they were shook the rest of the game. They missed open three after open three after open three. Zach Eady did not have a point in the last nine minutes of the game, which is unacceptable. And congratulations to Fairleigh Dickinson, first of all. This is what makes college basketball and March Madness the best, uh, especially compared to a lot of the other postseasons. Like, this is just... These are just things that you never see before in any other sports that college football doesn't have. Uh, and the level between a fairly Dickinson taking down a Purdue, like no other sport could replicate that, which makes college basketball just the absolute best. And it's just wild to me that this is now the third year in a row. Matt Painter, Purdue's head coach, has taken just an awful loss in the NCAA tournament. The third year in a row, Purdue has lost to a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. And it's wild because last year, right, Purdue was really talented. They had Jaden Ivey, who is a top five pick in the NBA draft. They had Edie. They had another really good big man in Trevion Williams. This team was loaded last year, but they lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. And kind of similar to this year, after they were one of the best teams in college basketball, the best team in college basketball. Like, let's not get it twisted. The only reason why... Purdue was a number one seed. And I'm not trying to use this as an insult or anything. I'm just stating facts. Purdue was a one seed based on their non-conference resume, which was really good. They had wins over Duke. They had wins over Gonzaga. They had wins over uh, West Virginia. They they blew them out. They had a home win over Marquette. Like, they were really good in the non-con. But over the course of the last few months, Purdue was not playing like a number one seed. And I know they won the Big Ten tournament, which might have fooled some people, but that was the most underwhelming conference tournament run for a winner that I've ever seen. Like they barely beat a bad Rutgers team that did not make the tournament. They barely beat a bad Ohio State team that did make the tour or that didn't make the tournament either. That was just awful for the second half of the year. And they almost blew a 17 point lead to Penn State. Like no one should be surprised that Purdue got knocked out early, but number one versus number 16, Fairleigh Dickinson, and you couldn't get the game out. Man, that's just an awful loss for Matt Painter, an awful loss for Purdue. And congratulations to Fairleigh Dickinson for becoming only the second number 16 seed to win an NCAA tournament game. One of the best uh, first round games of the NCAA tournament was the 9-8 game between Florida Atlantic and Memphis. And wow, what a game this was. Memphis was winning for the majority of the contest, but then Kendrick Davis, their star guard, he gets injured with about five minutes left. FAU, uh, FAU, I should say, goes on a little bit of a run. And the sequence to end this game was just wild. Memphis, I think, 
kind of got jogged by the refs. Uh, they, they had the ball and Kendrick Davis made a terrible pass with about 10 seconds left. They had a one point lead and Florida Atlantic, they get the steal down one with about 10 seconds left. Then they lose it. There's a jump ball. I thought Memphis clearly recovered it. They had two guys calling timeout. Unfortunately, the refs called a jump ball. FAU has the arrow and with about three seconds left, they drop the game winning play. And I'll say this. It was a game Memphis probably should have won, but Dusty May and FAU, they're the real deal. And I know that they were labeled as the best mid-major team for the majority of the season, and that was deserved. Like, they were going to be the only team out of a one-bid league that had a chance, or they that they did have a definite chance of getting an at-large bid. Like, even if they lost their conference tournament, they would have gotten into the big dance. But I wasn't exactly sure like just how far they could go in the big dance, especially against a team like Memphis. That's pretty athletic. But the thing about FAU that really impressed me is one, how well coached they are. Dusty May has those guys ready to play. And this dude is an absolute star, rising star in the coaching industry. And whatever school hires him, wherever he goes, that's going to be a winning program that I think he's going to have some real success going forward. So Dusty May, that's definitely a name to watch, but also when you look at Memphis, they were just, they, they gave the game away. Like they made way too many dumb mistakes. And as much as I love Penny Hardaway as a coach, I think he's done a good job making Memphis relevant again. He's gone to the NCAA tournament the last two years. He won a tournament game last year. This is a tough loss. And when you look at this Tiger team, it hurts because they're going to be losing Kendrick Davis. They're going to be losing DeAndre Williams, who was in foul trouble for the majority of this game, but he did do a good job playing without fouling for about the final nine, 10 minutes. And it's a frustrating loss for Memphis, especially considering Purdue was knocked out. And the winner of this game, they already knew it. It was after the Fairleigh Dickinson game. The winner of this one was going to get FDU as a 16 for a chance to go to the Sweet 16. FAU takes advantage of that. Dusty May is the real deal. And I think we're going to get into the other three teams that will be playing at MSG in the East Regional coming up. I think FAU is alive to go to the Final Four. I really believe that. This kid, John L. Davis, what he was able to do against not only Memphis, but in the game against Fairleigh Dickinson also, was special. This kid finishes the game against F... Uh, yeah, I keep getting FDU-FAU confused. Janelle Davis of Florida Atlantic against Fairleigh Dickinson. He finishes the game with 29 points, 12 rebounds, a very efficient 10 of 16 from the field. Uh, Boyd, he was the one who hit the game-winning shot. Very impressive. Greenlee, very good shooter who hasn't even shot the ball great in this tournament yet. He goes two for five yesterday. Rosado, very good athleticism. Jalen Gaffney, former UConn player. Like this FAU team is loaded, and John L. Davis is a big reason why they'll be heading to MSG for the Sweet 16. What a team Dusty May has, and what a young coach he is, man. If I were any school looking for a new coach, that is one guy I'd really, really be looking at. Congratulations to the Florida Atlantic Owls for winning their first ever NCAA tournament game. The other team in the Sweet 16 to come out of that top of the East is another coach I wanted to give a huge shout out to because he's been a guy that hasn't been the best tournament coach, but in a spot where everyone was picking Duke to win, and rightfully so after what they did to Oral Roberts, Rick Barnes and Tennessee, they're going to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2019, that Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield team that Tennessee fans remember very fondly. What a win by the Vols. They really, from the start of the game, just punched Duke in the mouth. And the Blue Devils were not able 
to match that same level of physicality. And I got to give Rick Barnes a lot of credit for establishing this game plan right away. The Vols are deep. They have plenty of big guys off the bench and starting in uh, Kamwa, in Orosplavsic, in uh, Adu, who I'm really impressed with, man. (laughs) Tennessee, that kid Adu is a monster that really affects the game in a big way. He could score. He's skilled, but he's also big and strong. He could rebound. He could block shots. Jonas Adu, man. Wow. What a player he is. And Tennessee showed up in a big way to beat Duke without Zakai Ziegler, too, the point guard for the Vols, who uh, tore his ACL earlier in the season. But between Julian Phillips, Santiago Vescovi, Tyree Keat, Jemai Meshack, one of the best defenders in the country, I'm a big fan of him. Kamwa, he had a great game. And I think we saw why Rick Barnes has stuck by him so much since he's gone to Tennessee. He's been very hot and cold. But Kamwa... He has a great game, and I'm just so happy for the Tennessee Vols, a team that has had a lot of struggles in the NCAA tournament in recent years, including last year, a pretty bad loss to Michigan in the round of 32. Tennessee back in the Sweet 16. Congratulations to Rick Barnes, and he has a pretty nice path to the Elite Eight. Obviously, FAU, that's not going to be a great matchup, but congratulations to the Tennessee Vols for getting the job done. Another team in the Sweet 16 in the East that maybe not a lot of people expected, the Kansas State Wildcats. And Jerome Tang, what a coach this guy is. In his first year at Kansas State, when the Wildcats are projected to finish last in the Big 12, mainly because they finished last in the Big 12 last year and were really only returning a few guys from that team. But luckily, one of them was Marquise Noel, who was one of the biggest stars to come out of the first weekend of the tournament. And Noel was absolutely electric against Kentucky. If you watch that game, you know what this guy did to lift Kansas State over Kentucky for the victory. Noel plays all 40 minutes. He finishes with 27 points, 9 assists, and he just had some beautiful passes, some beautiful shots. This guy just made basketball look like poetry in motion, honestly. like When you think of basketball and how the game should be played, you watch Marquise Noel what a game he had. Uh, Desi Sills, Keontae Johnson, and Naquan Tomlin all scored in double digits as well. Ish Masood only had one made three the whole game. He had three points. That was his only made shot of the game, but it came at a huge time to give Kansas State the lead uh, late in the game. They never really looked back from there. And it is another frustrating tournament loss for John Calipari and Kentucky. The Wildcats have not been to the Sweet 16 since 2019 when they lost to Auburn in the Elite Eight. And when you look at Kentucky, this is one of those rare games where I can't really put a lot of it on John Calipari, if I'm being honest, because Antonio Reeves, who has been playing really well for the second half of the season, in 31 minutes, he only has five points and shoots one of 15 from the three. Jacob Toppin, in 28 minutes, he only has two points. He shoots one of seven from the three. And the thing with Kentucky that's super unfortunate, and this is a real trend we've seen for this entire year, is they just can't put it all together for a consistently long stretch. When they're playing great, they run into a tough loss. When they're playing terribly and you want to give up on them, that's when they're at their best. And unfortunately, Kansas State just made more shots late down the stretch to lead them to victory. Johnson, Noel, Masood, they're just hitting clutch shot after clutch shot after clutch shot. Unfortunately, Kentucky couldn't match that, and it is a big season coming up next year for John Calipari with that recruiting class. And I know 
the narrative is next year's recruiting class, it's not really as great as a lot of other ones in the past. So when you have the best kids in the class, it's not really the same as it would be in a lot of other years, but it's going to be an interesting year for Kentucky. Chiboy is most likely gone. He finishes with 25 and 18. Wow. Uh, Casey Wallace also had 29 or 21 and nine, really impressed with him, but the surrounding pieces just did not make enough plays. Unfortunate way for the season to end for Kentucky. And then finishing up, we have to be really impressed with Tom Izzo and Michigan state. This is now the second time in the last decade that Michigan state has been a number seven seed in this event. And they find their way to get to the sweet 16 to beat a number two seed. We saw that with uh, Izzo against uh, Tony Bennett and Virginia only a few years ago, uh, more than a few years ago now, but in 2015, they were a seven seed and they did that. And I feel bad for Marquette because this had such a, like, it was just such a tough draw. Like you win the Big East regular season tournament, you win, or excuse me, you win the Big East regular season title, you win the Big East tournament title, and then you draw Tom Izzo and Michigan State as a seven seed in Columbus. And I know that's close to Wisconsin where Marquette is, but that's even closer to Michigan State. There were plenty of Spartan fans in attendance yesterday. And the thing about Michigan State, which makes them so interesting, you look at the analytical numbers. They take a lot of contested shots, which they don't like. But Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins and Joey Hauser and A.J. Hogard. They can make those contested shots. That's their strength. That's what they're good at. And they did that yesterday. Tyler Kolick, I think, was really bothered by a finger injury suffered in that Vermont game. And he just did not look like himself. Obviously, the worst time to have an off game. That's the unfortunate reality of playing in the NCAA tournament. The fact that just one off game and, and your season could end and everything you've done this season could just end in a snap with Tom Izzo. What a coach he is. And Michigan State, the only team in the Big Ten to find themselves playing in the second weekend. I know a lot of people got on Izzo over the summer. Oh, he's not using the transfer portal. What is that? He's scheduling a ridiculous non-conference schedule against Gonzaga, against Kentucky. They're playing in the uh, PK-85. They're playing uh, Alabama. They're playing UConn. Like, they're playing all these ridiculously good teams. But that did prepare Michigan State for this moment and this is also a Spartan team that had Duke on the ropes last year in the round of 32. I feel like we forget that. Like Tom Izzo came very close to knocking Mike Krzyzewski out of the NCAA tournament and, and ending his career uh, instead of North Carolina last year. Unfortunately, Michigan State did not do that, but they do get some payback this year and they'll be heading to MSG to play Kansas State in the Sweet 16. Continuing to break down the Sweet 16, shout out to Houston for finding a way to get back to get past not only Auburn but also Northern Kentucky. They were struggling in the second half of that game, and Marcus Sasser, their star guard, he actually was injured, left early. He says he's 100, and he did play the full round of 32 game against Auburn. So the Cougars they will be moving on into the next round, and. Kelvin Sampson, you could think of whatever you want about this Houston team. Like, I'm not necessarily sold on them as the legit national championship favorite, but at the same time, like, you just can't deny that second half against Auburn was probably the best second half we've seen from any team so far in the tournament. Auburn literally only made a handful of shots from the field throughout that half. They also could not hit a free throw, which had to be driving Bruce Pearl just absolutely crazy, but... In the second half of that game, Auburn was outscored by Houston 50-23. to That was after Auburn took a 10-point lead 
into the halftime locker room. And I did think that would be an interesting matchup for Houston, considering Auburn did have the physicality to, to compete with them, and they did. But Tremont Mark, he goes for 26-9. and nine. Keep in mind, the, the crazy thing about Houston is this team made the Elite Eight last year with Sasser and Mark hurt and out for the year. And Tremont Mark was a key piece as a freshman to that team in uh, 2021 that had Quentin Grimes that made it all the way to the final four and they ended up losing to Baylor. So Tremont Mark, he made an impact with 26 and nine. Hopefully Sasser is healthy and the Cougars, they will be moving on to the sweet 16 where they will take on the Miami hurricanes who had a very impressive weekend of their own. And the thing about the NCAA tournament, which is so crazy is that, one matchup in one game could literally determine how the rest of the bracket goes. And I think we saw that with this example on Friday night. Miami playing Drake in the 12-5 game in that uh, Midwest region. And Drake was really controlling things for the majority of the game. But the Hurricanes end the game on a 15-1 to run. And they leave uh, Albany with the victory that night, 63-56. to Unfortunately, Drake's best player, Tucker DeVries, he finishes with only three points and shoots one of 13 from the field. Just a brutal game and just awful timing for ha- for him to have his worst performance of the season. And Drake had Miami on the ropes. They really did. But the Hurricanes, they're a veteran team. And also part of the reason why a lot of people really like Drake uh, in this game was the injury status of Miami big man Norshad Omir. And he left Miami's ACC tournament semifinal game against Duke early with an injury. He didn't practice until like Wednesday of last week. And at the start of the week, like at this time last week, the assumption was that he wasn't going to play. He ultimately ends up giving it a go. And the Hurricanes find a way to beat not only Drake, but they really dominated Indiana after their performance against Kent State. I was honestly a little bit disappointed with Indiana's performance in this one. The U got off to a really good start in this game. Indiana was able to close the gap. Miller Cobb hit a big three to, to cut it to five right before halftime. But Miami was just the better team. And in the second half, their guards really took over. Say what you want about Jim Laranega. I know this team spent a lot of money openly in their uh, on players in the transfer portal this past summer. But Nigel Pack, he's a bucket. He's the real deal. Isaiah Wong, he's a guy with plenty of tournament experience that has gotten the job done many times before. Uh, Jordan Miller, No Shadow Mir, we saw the impact that those guys are able to make. So congratulations to the U, who will be heading back to the Sweet 16 for the second year in a row and the only team remaining out of the ACC. So I think this was pretty predictable if you've been following these leagues throughout the season. But what an awful tournament for both the ACC and the Big Ten. Miami and Michigan State, the only two teams from those leagues still alive. And when you look at what happened to them, in the Big Ten and the ACC, teams like Maryland, teams like Northwestern, teams like Penn State, we haven't gotten to the latter two yet, but those two teams, they won their first round games. Purdue, though, disappointing loss. Indiana, disappointing loss. Iowa, disappointing loss. When it comes to the Big Ten, this is just a very hard conference to trust in the month of March based on everything they've done recently, and that only continued this year. Of course, Tom Izzo is the only guy in the Big Ten that could break out of it. But congratulations to Miami. They moved on. Another team, and when I mentioned St. John's and Rick Pitino, like this is the team that I was talking about. Sean Miller and Xavier are back in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017 after knocking off Pittsburgh in the 3-11 game. And the story out of the weekend to come with Xavier, they were dead against Kennesaw State. 
in the 3-14 game. They were down double digits at one point in the second half, but Xavier, a team that has really struggled on the defensive end for the majority of the season, came up with a 15-1 run in crunch time when they needed it the most, and they find a way to survive in advance and get the win over Kennesaw. And the thing that really was crazy about that game, one, Xavier was trailing for the majority of it, and then I feel like the image that most people are going to come out of that game remembering is Sue Boom and Adam Kunkel just screaming at each other off the on the bench, uh, walking off the court, and Sean Miller said after the game, I'd rather tell them to calm down than get into the game, and the Musketeers find a way to get the victory. And the scary thing about Xavier, Sue Boom and Jack Nunji. Nunji has played great in this tournament in the first two games, but he hasn't shot the ball well. Those two guys are combined two of 18 from three, and they're due to get hot. The fact that Xavier was able to blow out Pitt yesterday, and Sue Boom did not even play great, probably the best transfer to come into Power 5 Conference College basketball this season. And I'm not talking about just from the mid-major ranks. I'm talking about the entire country. You cannot name me a guy that has been a better transfer than Suwe Boom. And Boom in this game, he only had, well, he had 17 points against Kennesaw, which was good. But against Pitt, he didn't play great. He had 14 points, which is, you know, that's really good. But for a guy that's averaging 16 and a half points per year, like, He's going to have some big games in the tournament. That's all I'm saying, and they're due to come. Uh, Jerome Hunter, though, my God. This is the guy that I think has really been the main catalyst for the turnaround of Xavier this past weekend and really since Zach Fremantle got hurt. If you remember, there was concerns for Xavier in about late January when Zach Fremantle, there, uh, he was, I believe, their leading scorer at the time, if not right up there with Boom. He is an experienced player. He's been around the program for a while. He's had a really good year. He's announced out for the season. And as devastating as that was for not only him, but the entire Xavier program, he's really talented. And this is a Xavier team that doesn't have a ton of depth. They only really play six, seven guys. Without Fremantle, they might be a better team because they're much better on the defensive end. And this has allowed Jerome Hunter, a guy who transferred in from Indiana, he never really was able to get things going there, needed a change of scenery. But Jerome Hunter was really impressive for Xavier this weekend, and he's just been great as their best defender. And he had a combined 38 points and 10 rebounds in both of the Musketeers' two NCAA tournament games this season uh, over this past weekend. And Sean Miller, it's so funny because he was hired just about a year ago at this time. I was so frustrated for Xavier and their fans because they had one of the more talented rosters in the country with all these guys, uh, Kobe Jones, Jack Nunji, uh, Fremantle, uh, all of these guys, Paul Scruggs, who's no longer with the program. Like they had a loaded squad that was super talented, but unfortunately they were just never able to get over the hump with Travis Steele. But immediately they bring in a real coach in Sean Miller, who is one at the highest of levels. And this team is immediately in the sweet 16. Xavier has a rich traditional of winning, a, a rich tradition of winning, and just being a great basketball program, and they are back on the map. And overall, I would say, I, I know Marquette lost, which was disappointing, but overall, a really good weekend for the Big East. You have Creighton moving on to the Sweet 16. You have Xavier moving on to the Sweet 16, and we will have one other Big East team that we will talk about a little bit later. But shout-out to the Musketeers and Sean Miller. Uh, also wanted to shout-out Pitt and Jeff Capel. I think they had a really nice, successful season. Uh, Capel, his seat was pretty hot. 
going into the season. Uh, he still had not made an NCAA tournament going into the season. It is uh, year number seven for him. So it was a massive year for Jeff Capel, or I'm sorry, year number five, I should say. It was a massive year going into year five for Jeff Capel. This is a guy that needed to have a winning season. He did. I think Pitt did a really good job recruiting older players from the portal, Jamarius Burton, Blake Hinson, Nellie Cummings. And I think the future is pretty bright for this Pittsburgh Panther program, a monster win for them over Iowa State. They also beat Mississippi State in the playing game. So congratulations to the Panthers. And then we also had Texas moving on to their first Sweet 16 since 2008. Wow. Rodney Terry gets the job done. And I think Texas is a legitimate national championship contender, and they might be the favorite for me to come out of this region. I know Houston is unreal, especially with that second half they were able to put together against Auburn, but there are not many teams in the country playing better than Texas right now. I was so impressed with the way they were able to respond to Penn State's run, right? The Nittany Lions, who shot the lights out against Texas A&M. Andrew Fung, what a player he is. He could not miss against Texas A&M, and I don't think there was a team in the first round of the tournament that played better than Penn State in the round of 64 against, excuse me, uh, A&M. I'll give you Funk's stat line in this game. Listen to this. Against Penn State, or excuse me, against A&M on Thursday night, Andrew Funk has 27 points on 8 of 10 from the 3. 8 of 10. He shot 80% from 3. What a night Andrew Funk had. And this Penn State and Indy Lion team, uh, I'm hoping with Cooley going to Georgetown now that Micah Shrewsbury, hopefully he's able to stay in state college for a while because what a coach he is. And if he is there for the future, that program is in for some big time moments going forward. What a coach Micah Shrewsbury is. And Penn State, they got the win over AM, but in the round of 32 game against Texas, Penn State couldn't have shot the ball any worse. They shot in that game. 8 of 28 from 3, and they made a bunch of those shots late. Now, Texas shot 1 of 13 from 3, 8%, and they still found a way to win, but Penn State made a little bit of a charge at Texas late. They cut it to 1. I believe they even took the lead at one point, but Dylan Disu would not let the Longhorns lose. He finishes the game with 28 points, a career high, and 10 rebounds. Marcus Carr, he plays all 28 minutes in this game, or all uh, – he plays 39 minutes in this game. He he finishes with 10 points. Timmy Allen, one of the more underrated, really good glue guys in the country. He finishes with 9 and 12. And Sir Jabari Rice, my guy, who didn't even shoot the ball well himself. He shoots one of six from three. He even adds in 13 points. I'm a big fan of this Texas team. Rodney Terry, I think, has done a phenomenal job considering the circumstances he was put into. And I think Texas, there's been a lot of conversations about who they should hire as their head coach, but I believe Fran Fraschola of ESPN, he said it best this season, right after Chris Beard, uh, that incident went down and we knew that he was no longer going to be the head coach of this Longhorns program. That was a three month. This is a three month job interview for Rodney Terry to make the best impression. And that's exactly what he's done. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to the Longhorns on their first sweet 16 appearance since 2008. And that game against Xavier should be pretty good. Continuing with our Sweet 16 reaction podcast, we have to give a shout out to Eric Musselman and the Arkansas Razorbacks. And they will be making their third consecutive Sweet 16. This will be the fourth Sweet 16 
for Coach Muss. And it is crazy because when Eric Musselman got to Arkansas, this was in the spring of 2019, right after they missed the NCAA tournament that year under Mike Anderson, this Arkansas program was at a crossroads, especially considering the fact they hadn't been to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament since the late 90s. And we know Nolan Richardson and everything that he was able to do for this Arkansas program. But Eric Musselman has made Arkansas basketball relevant again. He's brought it back. And the funny thing is, two years ago, in 2021, when they made the Elite Eight, as surprising as a run as that was, I wasn't shocked by it. They were an older team with a pro in Moses Moody. Actually, two future pros with Moody and Jalen Williams. And they had veterans, right? They had guys like uh, Jay Sean Tate and Justin Smith and older players that were experienced uh, that got the job done. And then last year, they had J.D. Note. They had sophomore Jalen Williams. They had Amude, who was a veteran. Like, the last two Arkansas teams that have gotten to the Sweet 16 were older teams that must has had a lot of success coaching. But I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, the last week of the regular season, when they lost to Kentucky at home, and when they lost to um, Texas A&M, or uh, yeah, in the SEC tournament after barely beating Auburn, I was ready to quit on this Arkansas team. Their whole team is freshmen, young players. But the thing is, they do have two other guys in Devo Davis and Ricky Council that are veterans that have played in big games before, especially Devo. We remember what he did as a freshman against Texas Tech, and Arkansas was able to beat Kansas. And I know it's super unfortunate that Bill Self was not able to coach in this game for Kansas. We hope he's doing better. And that's just a sour, sour feeling in your stomach. The fact that Kansas didn't have a Bill Self in this game, it's super unfortunate. We wish him the best and hope he's better as soon as possible. But Muss, the king of short rest, He's able to get the job done. Arkansas was down 10 uh, in the the first half, early in the second half as well, and they find a way to win. And Nick Smith, as great of a player he is, he didn't score in this game and must use the lineup of Council and Devo Davis and Jordan Walsh out there alongside with uh, Makai Mitchell, Anthony Black, along with Council and and Davis. Those two guys step up, and Arkansas will be heading to the Sweet 16 for the third consecutive season, and must. He still hasn't gotten to a Final Four at Arkansas yet. I'm not holding that past him right now. Congratulations to the Razorbacks getting the job done. And even after a pretty disappointing regular season, and I know injuries have a lot to do with that, right? The Smith injury, the Trevin Brazil injury that I thought was just a killer for Arkansas. They find a way to beat Kansas to go to the Sweet 16. And Eric Musselman, he has now won nine games in the last six years of NCAA tournament play. I don't think we realize just how impressive that was and what a home run hire that was by Arkansas to bring in Eric Musselman from Nevada. Wow. That program is just on fire. I think it's officially past Kentucky as the premier program in the SEC, as much as Wildcat fans might not want to hear it. But I think even after the loss yesterday for them, they'd have to agree. So congratulations to Arkansas. They will be back in the Sweet 16 for the first time since uh, last year. So it hasn't really been that long. But a team that Arkansas will play that has actually been waiting a while to get back to the Sweet 16 is the UConn Huskies. They picked up a pair of really dominant victories over Iona and over St. Mary's to get back to the Sweet 16 for the first time since the Huskies won their national title most recently in 2014. And this is a 
This was a big tournament for Danny Hurley. He needed to get to at least the second weekend. He did that. And I know there were a lot of Husky fans that weren't particularly happy with Hurley and UConn's tournament performances over the course of the last two years, just getting blown out in total no-show efforts against uh, Maryland and against New Mexico State in the NCAA tournament in each of the last two years. However, UConn is able to find a way to win this game against St. Mary's. The Gales got off to a pretty solid start, but UConn's able to stay in the game and uh, find a way to win. And they will now take on Arkansas in the West Regional out there in Vegas. That should be good as well. Gonzaga, they advanced to the Sweet 16. And I'm really impressed with the Zags. This is now, uh, they've been to the Sweet 16. It's been a very impressive streak for Mark Mark Few and company. This is now the sixth consecutive Sweet 16 for the Gonzaga Bulldogs, a streak that started back up in 2017. And when you look at this Gonzaga team, I thought TCU was a really difficult second-round draw. The Horned Frogs should not have been a six-seed considering what they did this season. But Mike Miles, their star guard, he got hurt, missed about three weeks in the middle of the regular season. And the um, <clears throat> the uh, Horned Frogs struggled a little bit uh, during that stretch. So they're underseeded. But Gonzaga, they find a way to win. Drew Timmy, just a phenomenal performance. And Mark Few did everything with his big man that Matt Painter could not do, uh, and that's just feed him. I, I don't know how Zach Eady didn't have a point in the final uh, nine minutes of that game, but when you look at Gonzaga and Drew Timmy yesterday, they just force-fed him the ball and force-fed him the ball over and over and over again, and the big man for the Zags finishes with 28 points, 8 rebounds in 31 minutes. Just a phenomenal effort from him. The Bulldogs go into the Sweet 16, and I think – They're looking pretty good. This is the team I picked to win the national championship at the start of the tournament, and they are playing some really good basketball. UCLA is the last team that we will be talking about today that advanced to the Sweet 16. They got the job done over Northwestern and UNC Asheville in their two games. And as crazy as this sounds, like I don't really think I learned a ton of a lot more on the Bruins that I didn't know. It was an impressive win for UCLA, an impressive two wins, but – the injuries are really starting to pile up. They lost Jalen Clark before the start of the tournament, and I thought that was just such a killer. The best defender in the Pac-12, uh, the B- the defensive player of the year, one of the more improved players in the country as well, he uh, got hurt in UCLA's regular season finale against Arizona State, and or against Arizona, I should say. And he didn't play in the Pac-12 tournament. UCLA was able to get to the finals of that event, but they did lose to Arizona. And Adem Bona, he's playing with a mask. He's healthy, but he's not 100%. Still giving it a go, though. And then David Singleton, in the final 10 seconds of that game, UCLA's best shooter, he has an ankle injury. He did participate in the handshake lines. Hopefully he'll be good and ready to go in that Gonzaga game. But Mick Cronin, man, he has done a great job winning games in the tournament. It's funny. Like, I think my other top takeaway from the first week of tournament action outside of uh, the uh, underdog Cinderella stories in Princeton and, and Fairleigh Dickinson, like there was one point where Mick Cronin was in the exact same situation as Tony Bennett and Matt Painter, a guy that was a really good coach because of everything that he did in the regular season, but had a lot to be desired in the postseason. And he has completely put that narrative to bed. This is now the third consecutive Sweet 16 appearance for the UCLA Bruins. It's been really impressive what they've done this season. And I was all set and ready to pick them to win the national championship, unfortunately, before the Clark injury. So 
when you look at this UCLA team, uh, I just hope they're healthy and they're ready to go. The Clark injury, in my opinion, is just such a killer. But that UCLA-Gonzaga game, I think, has the potential to be the first and best game of the Sweet 16. That'll do it for another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. I appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back talking college basketball as we get closer and closer to Thursday's action. The Sweet 16, it's finally here. A long first four days of tournament action. If your team survived in advance, congratulations. If your team is going home, it was most likely a great season because you got to the big dance, and hopefully next year they will be able to get the job done. But anyway... My name is Zach Kroll. I hope you enjoy the episode, and I'll talk to you guys soon.